Once again, welcome to you and welcome to those of you who are joining online. Several years ago, a writer and pastor named William Steiger was reflecting uh, with gratitude on one of his school teachers growing up. Uh, his school teacher taught him a love for words and a love of literature, and he realized that uh, she was very instrumental in, in the way that he went about his job in writing and in uh, preparing uh, messages and so forth. So uh, he did something that he hadn't done before with his teacher. He sat down and wrote her a thank you note. A few days later, he received uh, the following note in the mail in, in uh, uh, some pretty shaky handwriting. But listen to this uh, note. It said, my dear William, I am now an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You'll be interested to know, William, that I taught school for 50 years, and all that time, yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. Wow. 50 years and only one note of gratitude. Only one note of appreciation. And yet that one note cheered her heart. The power of gratitude simply cannot be overstated. But yet, regrettably, the attitude or the gift of gratitude has become a forgotten virtue. Today, we're starting a new series in which we're going to elevate the spiritual practice of gratitude for the next three weeks. And from the outset, let me just get this out on the table. I think we might think being someone who is thankful or having a, a spirit of gratitude makes us a, a really nice person. It means that maybe we're really polite. I know uh, my grandmother, Frances, used to always say, you know, make sure you say please and make sure that you say thank you. Sort of a mismanners protocol. But showing gratitude, it certainly makes us polite, but it is far more. Cicero once said, gratitude is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all others. Gratitude's not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all others. Gratitude is not only good for us socially in that it makes us more polite and, and a nicer person to be around, but it's also good for your physical and emotional health. Professor and researcher Robert A. Emmons puts it this way. He wrote, clinical trials indicate that the practice of gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effect on a person's life. It can lower blood pressure, improve immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. One recent study from the University of California's San Diego School of Medicine found that people who were more grateful often had better heart health, specifically less inflammation and healthier heart rhythms. They showed a better well-being, a less depressed mood, less fatigue, and they slept better. Gratitude, the report said, has the opposite effect of stress. Let that sink in for a minute. Gratitude has the opposite effect of stress on your body. We arguably live in the most stressful city in the world. And here we have this, this, this virtue, right? This virtue that can help us deal with stress. Gratitude counteracts stress in your life. So it's good for our relationships. 
It's good for our physical health. It's good for our emotional health. And most importantly, it is critical to our spiritual health and our pursuit of spiritual maturity to be more and more and more like Jesus. No wonder the Bible says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and be thankful. So my hope in this series is that we'll discover together this forgotten virtue and that each one of us will make the commitment to pursue a lifestyle of gratitude. Let me challenge you. Uh, As I mentioned last week, keep a gratitude journal. You can start today if you didn't start last week on November 1. Start today, November 7, and keep a gratitude journal every day all the way to the beginning of Advent, which would celebrate, uh, begin at the end of the month. And then when we start Advent, you'll be able to go back and look at this gratitude journey and just simply read it and to see all the different ways that, that God has blessed you, all the different things for which you are thankful. And as the old hymn says, you can just have a good time counting your blessings. So let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Start a gratitude journal today. So to help us in this series, we start by considering what it means to have a contented heart. Contentment is the gateway to a lifestyle of gratitude. Now, to be sure, someone who has a, a discontented uh, disposition can have moments and flashes of gratitude. But to have the lifestyle that brings the physical and emotional and relational and spiritual health, one must embrace contentment. We must embrace contentment if gratitude is ever going to become a lifestyle. Yet contentment can feel elusive. John Roseman is a family psychologist that likes to ask uh, middle-aged parents, so that'd be parents my age or, or even uh, a little younger actually now, I'm, I'm, I'm 59, but he likes to take these informal polls and, and ask middle-aged parents, how many toys did you have growing up? Go ahead and, and start, take that, take that poll right now. Now he says, he says, some people say, you know, toys, all I had was a cardboard box and an old coffee can, you know, like the people who walk three miles in the snow both ways uphill, you know, there's always somebody that's going to answer that way. But he said, most people that give a number who are middle-aged said they had from anywhere from zero to 10. And, you know, I thought about this, and, and I, I probably had about somewhere around 10 toys because my brothers and I shared a room. That's a, that's a, a message for another time on maybe what not to do uh, if you have three boys. But anyway, we shared a room, and we had this one little toy box my dad made. And all the toys were in that one little toy box for three kids. Now, I was the oldest brother, which meant all the toys were for me anyway. And then I let them play with a few here and there. But get this, he goes on to say that the average five-year-old today has how many toys do you think? 50? 100? This is an auction, keep going. 250 toys. The average five-year-old has 250 toys. How many weeks has the average five-year-old lived? 260, not the average, every five-year-old, 260 weeks. That's one toy a week. Even the trainer says with my dog I should take some toys away because he gets bored with them and then make them seem new. The reason is the kids are not content. They're bored or the parents aren't content. 
and the parents are bored, and they just keep throwing toys at little Johnny or little Jane. So where does contentment come from? It doesn't come from more toys, does it? I mean, we're not just talking kids now, right? Yesterday I had to go to Best Buy to pick up a a cord for my computer. And I went and I took the cord to the cash register. Okay, Best Buy is the toy store for men. Most, and women too, but but it's a toy store. I go to the cash register to pay for my computer cord. And you know how the cash register, you know, sometimes they'll have a bag of peanuts you can buy or a Milky Way or a Reese's Cup or maybe a magazine. You know, what do you call that? Point of sale? Point of sale, just grab it. You know, uh, they had TVs there instead of Snickers bars. I was looking for the Snicker bar. They had TVs. Just grab one on your way out. Just a couple hundred bucks. Just grab one. So is more toys the key to contentment? No. Does having the biggest office at work the key to contentment? No. To being on the next promotion list, is that the key to commitment? No. Does it come from the having, having the nicest house or the biggest house in the neighborhood or the newest car? No. Contentment comes from within. It's an inside job. So let's dig in this morning. And what I want us to do is consider how we can pursue a spirit of contentment that would pervade our hearts and minds. And so let me invite you to turn uh, or launch your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 10. And just a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Take a look at the resources I've provided for you. They're terrific. Uh, And also, just a little bit of context. 1 Timothy, both 1 and 2 Timothy, is written by St. Paul to his protege in the ministry, Timothy. And a part of the section of the letter, St. Paul talks about uh, and warns Timothy against false teachers. Because false teachers would come into town and they would basically fleece the flock, right? And, 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 and they would fleece the flock from a money perspective and, and teach all kinds of things. They would also engage in, in sexual immorality, which Paul dealt with in, in another part of the letter. And then he digs in in our text this idea of contentment, starting with verse 6. He goes, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the Word of God. For the people of God. Here's where I'd like to go with this this morning. I'd like to look at the deadly deception of the discontented heart. And then I'd like to look at two steps. There are more, but just two steps today toward a contented heart. The deadly deception. The warnings of discontent just leap off of this page, specifically as it relates to money. Look, the dangers. It makes you vulnerable to temptation and to traps. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Leads you to foolish and harmful desires. Leads to ruin and destruction. It says money is a root. By the way, the NIV translation is absolutely correct here. You've probably heard money is the root of all evil. No, money is one of the roots. It is a root of evil. Uh, there are a lot of other evil in the world that has not necessarily uh, has to do with money, but it is a root 
of more evil in your life and it can cause you to wander from the faith and be open to more sorrow. And no doubt, discontent in other areas have the same effect. A discontented heart is a heart that is restless, troubled, constantly striving for more, and it cannot find peace. And here's why. Discontent goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back. Genesis tells us when the serpent tempted Eve, the ploy was to sow seeds of discontent. You have all these trees with all this fruit, and you can have the fruit from all of these trees, but you can't have the fruit from this tree. And so the serpent goes and makes the temptation. Why don't you take this tree too? Eat of this tree and you will have knowledge that you don't have. You will have knowledge of good and evil and then you'll get a promotion. That's my paraphrase. You'll get a promotion because then you will be like God. That's sowing the seed of discontent. Discontent is wanting more than your portion. It is at the headwaters of the history of sin. Anne Voskamp writes in her terrific book, 1,000 Gifts, our humankind's fall was, has always been, and always will be that we aren't satisfied in God and what He gives. We hunger for something more, something other, but we were lured by the deception that there was more to full life, there was more to see, and true, there was more to see, the ugliness we hadn't beheld, the sinfulness we hadn't witnessed, the loss we hadn't known, we eat. And in an instant, we see. Everywhere we look, we see a world of lack, a universe of loss, a cosmos of scarcity and injustice. In your mind or on your page, let me ask you to to take a, a personal exercise for a moment and just fill in the blank. I wish I had what? I wish I had. You fill in the blank. For some of us, we didn't have to think for a moment about what to put in that blank. For some of us, it might be a nicer home, a nicer car, a larger retirement portfolio. For others, it might be a a different job or a different station in life. For some, it could be better health, the days of our youth, or for others, to be married. For those, of you who filled, for those of you who filled in world peace, you can just take a pass on the rest of the sermon. You're already there. But there's a really good chance that what you put in that blank could be fueling the discontent in your life and robbing you of the joy of Christ. The spiritual challenge with discontent is that it fosters a spirit of ingratitude. And it keeps you from being thankful to all that God has given. If contentment is the gateway to gratitude, discontent is the gateway to the attitudes of greed, materialism, envy, jealousy. It breeds for the spirit of the ends justifies the means. N.T. Wright once wrote, the pursuit of happiness And the idea that this is a basic human right is all very well. 
But when it is taken to mean the unfettered pursuit of wealth, it turns into a basic human wrong. But let's get this on the table. It's okay to have a holy longing. Let me say that again. It is okay to have a holy longing. Notice Paul actually offers a slight condition on contentment, doesn't he? He writes, for if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's a holy longing. The phrase, give us today our daily bread, is taken to mean the essentials in life. It is okay to long for your children to have enough to eat and clothes on their backs. It is okay to long for your basic emotional needs, such as self-worth and love and respect. The key is to live in that longing in such a way that you're faithful to God. The key is to offer that longing up to God in faith and in trust for God's provision, to fill you with all that God wants to fill you with. And it's really important for those who don't have material lack to long for and to work for the basic needs of others as god's people we can live with a holy discontent that with a holy discontent with poverty and with hunger and with injustice we can get to work and long for the day when those are no more so let me offer a gentle challenge this morning whatever you put in that blank or wherever you find your discontent, offer that up to God. Offer that up to God this week and say, God, let me give you this. For some, healing may be needed because previous pain has caused discontent. Many of us need to turn and repent from sinful attitudes that breed discontent. No matter where you are, offer it to the Lord because discontent is a deadly virus to your spiritual well-being. Now, two steps toward a contented heart. A vision for the garden city. Let me just talk about the garden first. That's why I put cities in, uh, in parentheses. By the garden, I mean the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. Uh, again, from, from Ann Voskamp, reflecting on how the tempter told Eve that when she eats the fruit, her eyes will be open. She writes, but in the beginning, our eyes were already open. Our sight was perfect. Our vision let us see a world spilling with goodness. Our eyes fell on nothing but the glory of God. We saw God as He truly is. Good. And so we grab a vision of the garden when we walked in full communion with God. And to remember that we as humankind, if you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, that we were made as the crown of God's creation. That God made us in the image and in the likeness of Jesus. And when we are living in full communion with Him, we lack nothing. We have everything that matters. So much of discontent is built on chasing things or status to prove our worth. But a vision of the garden, a vision of what it means to walk in full communion with God tells us from the very beginning that we are loved far more than we can ever be loved. And we are esteemed far more than we could ever imagine 
being valued. If you are going to chase approval, you will never catch it. But if you simply rest in the worth and the approval that your Maker, your Creator has over you, that is when contentment begins to take hold and root in your life. But you have to have a vision for who God created you to be and why God created you to be. It's so that He could set your, His love on your life. You mean more than you'll ever know to God. You have to grab that vision. You'll find your ultimate approval in Him. And then in parentheses, a vision for the garden city. And what I mean by that is the garden that is to come. The book of Revelation tells us that, that in the consummation of all time, the city will come down. And we'll have this sort of sense of this garden city. That's what paradise will be like. A vision for eternity. A vision for the garden city. Paul gets to it. He says, you know what? For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing in. And we can take nothing out. Think about when a baby is born. It's soft and pruny and wrinkled up a bit. But most of all, that baby is naked. And when we die, yes, they'll put some clothes on us for a little bit, but those clothes aren't going with us. Right? We come to this world with nothing. And all the stuff that we accumulate, we leave behind. Think about this for a moment. Most of us spend the first 20 or 30 years of our adult lives chasing and accumulating things unless we allow God to have His way with money and stuff. Then we spend the the last 10 to 20 years trying to get rid of things and trying to make provisions for it to go somewhere. A few years ago, I read that over the last several decades, the average size of the American home has gotten larger and larger and larger. We're building bigger barns to store our stuff. And get this, do you know the industry that has absolutely skyrocketed over the last several decades? Yes, Lowe's. Yes, Home, what's it called? Home Depot. I'm not good with that stuff. Lowe's, Home Depot, right? Storage units. So we're building bigger barns to put all of our stuff and then we're paying people because we need more room for our stuff. And all this stuff is going to be offloaded to some thrift store one day or we're going to make our kids do it. We are stuffed as people, aren't we? But if we embrace this idea of a contented heart, if we realize that no amount of stuff will really make us happy, we will invest in eternal causes. As Jesus said, treasures in heaven. To develop a contented heart is to constantly grasp a vision for eternity. Do you want to invest in things that you are doing that you're going to have to offload one day? Or do you want to invest in the salvation of souls? the feeding of hungry bellies, the mission of God expressed through His church? Do you want to leave a legacy that fades? Or do you want to build a legacy that endures long past your time on earth? A vision for eternity. Let me offer an investment exercise this week. 
What do you want to leave behind that will advance the mission of God? What do you want to leave behind that will advance the mission of God? And what do you want stored up in heaven waiting for you when you get there? Good question, isn't it? What do you leave behind that advances the mission? What are you putting now in heaven, the treasures in heaven that Jesus talked about, the eternal salvation of souls, working for God's work here on earth, treasures your store up in heaven? What's waiting for you when you get there? That's the first part. The second is embrace simplicity. Just embrace simplicity. I'm going to lean into this more next week as we talk about joy, okay? Because joy is another gateway to gratitude. But let me just share a story. The story is told of a father of a wealthy family who took his son on a trip to the country because he wanted his son to see how a poor family lives. And he picked out a, a poor farmer family. And his, his motive was to help his son sort of grab this idea of, okay, you need to work hard to get ahead in life. And after they spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of a poor family, on the return trip, the father asked the son, how was the trip? And the son said, it was great, Dad, as the story goes. His dad said, do you see how poor people can be? The father asked. Oh, yeah, said the son. So what did you learn from the trip then? The son answered, I saw that we have one dog, and they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that you can't see the end of. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have stars at night. Our patio reaches into the front yard, and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond sight. We buy our food, but they get to grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect, but they have friends that protect them. With this, the boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, Dad, thanks for showing me how poor we are. It's a great little fable, isn't it? About the gift of simplicity. It's a time to be simple. It's a time to be true. The son saw the worth of simplicity. A contented heart is a heart that finds its rest in God. It leads to a spirit of gratitude for the portion that God has given and for the opportunity to invest in the eternal destiny and the earthly well-being of others. It leads to the life that God wants. Next week, we'll talk about the spirit of joy and how to be a people who are marked by joy. Amen? Let's pray together. God, give us hearts that are content in you. Help us to do business with this topic, Lord. Help us not just to brush it off. Help us, Lord, to take it to the very center of our being and to consider what it means to be thankful to you and content in you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your worth. Thank you for placing your hand on our lives and your joy over us. Lord, lead us to that place this week and in these exercises to 
draw close to You. To consider commitments, Lord, that we can make. To consider areas in which we need to repent. Lord, help us to be a people that invest in eternity and that invest in the well-being of people today for Your glory, for the good of of humankind that You love, and Lord, for our edification. In Christ's name, Amen. Hank is going to lead us in our closing hymn.